Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. Our schools are based on a fundamental principle to provide access to education and safe and supportive learning environments for all students. Student populations in schools are becoming increasingly diverse, but are we seeing this diversity reflected in school leadership? Do we need to reshape our education systems to foster diversity and inclusion? And how can schools ensure that they are building truly equitable learning environments? In this episode, we speak with three experts in educational leadership. Martin Scanlon from Boston College, USA, Kim Schildkamp from the University of Twente in the Netherlands, and Pak Thi Ng from Nanyang Technology University in Singapore. We discuss the power and responsibility that teachers have, why we need better data to improve our schools, the importance of student voice in human conversations, and the ways that schools can partner with their communities. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. My name is Martin Scanlon, and I work at Boston College in the United States and I work in educational leadership. My role at the Journal of Professional Capital and Community is as the Editor-in-Chief. My name is Kim Schildkamp. I work as a professor at the University of Twente. I work for the Teacher Training College as well as for our master program, uh, Educational Science and Technology. And I am the Global Editor for JPCC. Hello everyone, my name is Pak Thi Ng. I'm from Singapore. I work at the National Institute of Education and I'm privileged to be able to help my country develop teacher leaders and school leaders. And I'm always very glad to be able to do this. So thank you. So tell me a little bit about what you mean by diversity in school leadership and why is there a need for diversity in school leadership positions? I think diversity means different things in different contexts in school leadership. And so I'd be curious to hear from my colleagues here about diversity in their context. I'm speaking from the United States. And when we think about diversity, we think about it across many different dimensions, including race and ethnicity, gender and gender identity. And we think about diversity, though, also regionally in the United States, because the regions of schooling are such different contexts, and also of experience levels, diversity of people across different experience levels. So diversity is multifaceted, and I imagine that it's particular to different places how diversity is manifest in school leadership. Kim and Pakti, what are your thoughts on that? I think the definition that you just gave is a similar definition that we use here in the Netherlands. Diversity has so many different lenses that you can look at, including the ones you said, uh, gender, ethnicity, experience, and so on. I think when we are talking about diversity in relation to leadership in our schools, we want our schools to be a reflection of our society, which means that we need to have diversity in the different leadership roles. And maybe good to state here, but when I talk about leadership, I'm thinking about formal and informal leadership. So I'm thinking about the principal of a school, but I'm also thinking about team leaders. But I'm also thinking about teachers who take on leadership tasks and behaviors without actually being a formal leader. And I don't know if you use the same definition when talking about leadership, but that might be something to address here. I'll say that diversity is about 
the richness of opinions, of suggestions, of ideas, of representing different types of people and different types of thinking so that we arrive at a decision that would serve more people. And so that is why diversity is important because that is part of respecting different peoples and that is part of serving different peoples. I think that's a very good point, Pakti, and it actually speaks to the need for diversity across different dimensions. So, Kim, you're saying that diversity to be reflective of society, and that's one thing that we often think about in diversity. But I'm hearing something different also, Pakti, where you're talking about the pedagogical and uh, the purpose of schooling to foster critical reflection and a growth mindset and a respect for the plurality, a way of thinking about complex problems. And all of those different goals of schooling are served by diversity across different dimensions, as we've been saying. You also made the point, Kim, that diversity, when we think about diversity important for leadership, that leadership itself is a term that calls for a complex way of thinking about it. Some people who have positional authority are not respected as leaders. And conversely, some people who are not in positional authority have tremendous leadership role in the school or the district or the school system. So I think that that's a very helpful way to also make us think about the importance of diversity and what the need for diversity is. I'm kind of interested in what the current state of diversity is in your schools. Do schools in your areas, in your regions, in your contexts have diverse leadership at the moment? I would say that it really differs per school and it also depends on the definition that you use for diversity. And Pakti, I really like your definition as well, thinking about different opinions and ideas, because I think, especially if we're talking about diversity and also equity, which is of course related to this, I think having that conversation on what it means as a school to work on equity goals is about having that conversation with different people with different ideas and together come up with ways to work on this. So I really like your perspective on diversity, Pakti. One of the aspects that's occurring to me as we think about your question, do we have diversity? It, of course, builds from what we just were talking about, about how complex diversity is. And it depends, as Kim said. So maybe in some ways there is diversity. So if we're talking about in some schools with more experienced leaders, in some schools with more novice leaders, yes, we may have that diversity. In terms of racial diversity, it depends. In some places, we have diversity of our leadership, but the preponderance in the United States of school leaders would identify as white and would not be people of color. So the answer is yes and no. But the thought that occurs to me is a slightly different way of answering that question of do we have diversity? And, and that is, how is the leadership contained or distributed? And by definition, Every positional leader 
has only certain dimensions of diversity that they in themselves hold. They're not the complexity of society and the plurality of society. And so when school leaders structure the school to distribute leadership with different bodies and teams that share in the decision-making and have partnerships, that is the way in which leaders can foster diverse leadership in the school. And whatever their positional identity is, the leader needs to do that. So that's something that's occurring to me. That's a really interesting point. I mean, one of the reasons I always ask about the definitions at the start is just because I think when we have words like diversity or impact or words that we use regularly a lot, we forget that not everybody might have the same meaning or understanding, like whoever's listening might not have the same understanding of the word diversity. I'd even go further. It's not that they might not, it's that they definitely won't. Yes. It's not that they might not have the same definition. You need to assume they don't. The assumption should be, when I say a word like diversity, what pops into Kim's head and what pops into Cockney's head and what pops into your head, Helen, is by definition different. Yeah. Diversity is therefore also a very interesting concept because there are a lot of different lenses that you can use uh, when exploring diversity. My researcher head on, I think diversity is a very interesting object of study and even trying to define it and uh, looking at the different lenses of diversity and how people interpret the term diversity is already interesting in itself. Definitely. And so with such a diverse kind of range of meanings, lenses, aspects of diversity, you know, I can imagine there are a lot of challenges and opportunities in actually building an equitable learning environment for all students, especially as within each school and within each region, there's going to be a different context. So what are some of the challenges and opportunities here for schools? If I may respond to that first, with a little bit of bias there, because my main field of study is data use in education. I think from our studies, what we've seen is that the use of data is very important if we want to create more equitable schools. Some of our studies, we've been working in contexts where there are not a lot of data available and where a lot of decisions are based on intuition and experiences. And this usually does not work out very positively for students from certain backgrounds. Whereas if you combine experience and intuition with data and really uh, looking into the data in depth using your different opinions and different ideas, then you can come up with a really good understanding of what that particular child needs. Uh, and you can adapt instruction to the needs of that student. And then it really works. Whereas if you don't use data or use it in a very superficial way, then a lot of biases are often confirmed instead of contradicted. Absolutely. We think of data as neutral, but unless, you know, the data fell from the sky fully formed in a data set which no human person has constructed, then there is potentially always an element of bias in that data. But that's why the collaboration and uh, collective sense-making and the dialogue around data is very important because in one of our studies, one of the teachers actually said, and this was about a very important decision in education, which follow-up track does a student go to? And two students with exactly the same grades on a national standardized assessment, one student was advised to a lower track because of background. 
indicators. This teacher actually said, well, but I know this child, uh, he's not very motivated and I know his family. I think he's better off uh, in one of the lower tracks. Whereas the grades were exactly the same. What you would like to see, especially if you work in a team, that you actually confront each other with these biases and that one of the other teachers or school leader says, but wait a minute, this child with exactly the same grades, you will advise him or her to go to a higher track. So why the difference? Is this a bias or is this child really better off in that lower track? Or should we give him the chance to go to that higher track? And I think it's data are just numbers or qualitative data, but it's about the dialogue, the conversation that you need to have to help children learn, basically, or to enhance their well-being, because it's not all about learning. Schools have more goals than just learning. So maybe I'll make two points down here. One because Kim talked about data. So one is that there is, of course, that difference between evidence-informed decision-making versus decision-based evidence-gathering. So in a way, of course, kind of cynically perhaps, one can always make data say whatever one wants by kind of choosing you know, you know, what you want to focus on and stuff like that. So I think it is important that when we say diversity, so to connect back with the previous question, so firstly, I have to say, mine is not really a definition of diversity. It's just one way of understanding it. So diversity, from a systems perspective, is strength. When you have diversity, there is strength in the system. But it is a double-edged sword because diversity can be strength and diversity when it's really diversity, has a way of creating a lot of tensions in the system as well. And that potentially can tear the system apart. Therefore, diversity is strength. But on the other hand, it is as important to have unity in purpose. That is to say that we can all come from different backgrounds, have different ways of thinking about things. But if we are educators, then we ought to have unity in purpose, that it is really for the next generation. It is for the good of the children. In which case, when we have diversity in our schools and yet a unity of purpose, then despite the differences about what we think we ought to do, we know that we are all on the same side, working for the good of the children. Therefore, all of us will be much more open-minded. It's not about me already making decisions in my mind then, of course, I'm not open to evidence. But if I want to be open-minded, that is because I truly believe in education for the good of the children. Therefore, if you have good evidence that shows that this is a better way, let's go that way. So we can all be different, and that difference is going to be strength, provided we have unity in purpose. I think that's an excellent point there, Pakti. One of the things I always advocate for is don't start with data, but start with your purpose and goals. And I think a very important goal for our schools is working on equity. So one of the challenges of building equitable learning environments across these different dimensions of diversity is this tension that you're both mentioning here between the strength of diversity, and then the need for a unity and purpose. And different schools respond to this challenge in different ways. So one 
type of school that I've worked with quite a bit is schools with large populations of students with different mother tongues. And so we talk about them as culturally and linguistically diverse schools. And you could see how a school with a large population of students who speak English and a large population of students who speak Spanish, which would be a, a common phenomenon here in the United States, that that could be a tension and that that diversity could not be seen as a strength, particularly if the school was organized in a manner that only affirmed English as the language. In that situation, literally, it's seen as a deficit. I'm sorry you speak a different language that's not English because that's not going to help you in this school. And the organization of the school exacerbates that tension and the organization of that school does not see that diversity and treat that diversity as a strength. And then to flip that into the organization that affirms and cultivates bilingualism that builds upon a student's home language and that fosters that bilingualism amongst both the students who are native English speakers and the students who are native Spanish speakers, that structure of a school is a response to that challenge in a very different way. And that's, I think, whether it's language or whether it's racial difference or whether it's disability status, whether it's uh, difference in religion, the ways in which school leaders recognize the diversities within their communities and then seek to foster a unity of purpose, that is at the cart of how school leadership can respond to these challenges and see opportunities in the diversity. I think if I can add to that, in terms of these opportunities, one of the things that I've noticed when I was working in the US and Louisiana for a while, I'm talking about diversity, that leadership needs to pay attention to diversity and equity, not only in the classroom, but in the entire community. Because I still remember, and I think this was over 10 years ago, I was visiting a school and I was shown around by the principal of the school. And he told me that half of the population was African-American, the other half were white students, but everybody worked together and equity was an important goal for the school and that worked really well. And in the classrooms, it looked really well. But when it was lunchtime, we went into the cafeteria and all the African-American students were sitting on the left and all the white students were sitting on the right. So I think when talking about diversity and equity, we need to look at it with a wider community lens and not only with regard to what is happening in the classroom. It seems to me that from what all three of you are saying is that the school leadership kind of needs to sit down and instead of adding diversity on as like part of a strategy, needs to kind of have a central strategy for how it's going to handle diversity and equity in, in terms of its goals and how it's going to set up systems, processes, training, tools for teachers, for leaders to actually be able to reach those goals. I mean, how can we develop systems that support teacher leaders or leadership in education in their work towards equity? 
I was thinking about leadership and diversity and leadership strategies and leadership roles. And I was looking, I think we all know these lists of it's important to have a, a clear vision goals. It's important to be a role model. It's important to provide support to teachers. It's important to create a safe climate. And these are very general leadership strategies, but I do think that they can be applied very well to equity in education. Because I think as a leader, you, you have to be a role model on how to embrace diversity. And you have to set up these collaborations and discussions on what equity means and what diversity means the way we started this session, actually. So I think if you take these general leadership lists, I was looking at it and I think we can apply them to equity because, Pakti, taking your point about having a purpose, it's very easy to say that as a school, we think equity is important, but what does it look like and what are the goals related to equity? So having a clear vision and goals is important. So I think it would be very interesting to look at these leadership strategies and see how they apply to diversity and equity. I built on what Kim has said just now, especially when she said that you know, actually a school, it reflects the wider society. I think that is so important, not just in diversity, but in equity as well. So I'm thinking about the system, the wider system, more than just one school or one classroom. That is to say, of course, in a class, as a class teacher, I try my best. One can also say as a school leader, I try my best. But I think at the system, meaning that as a whole country, for example, it depends on the, the unit of analysis, or it could be a state, it could be a country, but much bigger than just a school. Do we actually really believe as a society in the principles of equity? That is to say that children, regardless of race, language, religion, background, should have a fair chance at not only just education, but in life. Then education provides them that support and pathway so that they can find success in their own ways. I think it is much more important to actually talk about the entire society. So sometimes, not all the time, of course, sometimes actually education it reflects what the society actually believes in and wants. And sometimes we are constrained by that. Of course, there is a chance for educators to work such that the society becomes better. But equally, the society has a very big influence on the functioning of schools. I think that's a good point. To build on the comments you were making, Kim, as well as how you were following that Pakti, in terms of developing systems, to support equity, you made the point that the reflection of society, that schools reflect society, and thinking about it within the bigger system is key. And I think about that in terms of what specific kinds of tools can we use to both respond to the broader community and also to shape the opportunities to learn within the school. One particular tool that is being used more often in the United States is equity audits. So in a, some of my research and scholarship looks at how can school leaders use auditing tools 
to start to identify. So this connects to your point, Kim, about data and using data. How can we gather data to see where are there disproportionalities within the learning experiences, the discipline patterns, the engagement in school, and so forth? And there's different ways in which we gather data and can look at that data to help direct our attention to the diversity within our school and where there are inequitable opportunities to learn. And that's a way that the system can start to change. But then to build from what you're saying, Pakti, one scholar in particular, Terrence Green in the United States, has pioneered the use of community-based equity audits that break open the schoolhouse doors and look at the broader community and where are their assets within the broader community that we're not aware of. And so we have school leaders that are doing mapping exercises where they map the broader community and look at where are the social service agencies, where are the faith-based institutions, where are the natural resources in the broader community that we can work with within our school? Where are there opportunities for partnership? So a tool like an equity audit that first may look within the school and then can look beyond the schoolhouse door would be one specific tool for developing a system to advance equity. And Kim, you mentioned the teams before and and bringing different people together in leadership. We think about different kinds of tools that are at leaders' disposal to shift the system. And I think actually I'm going to reverse the order of those two questions because you mentioned partnerships there. So, you know, what would some of these partnerships look like? What would this kind of community engagement look like? What I'm very interested in is the research practice partnerships. I think there's a real possibility for universities and schools to work together on diversity and equity, developing these tools that you just mentioned, helping each other, making sense of uh, all kinds of data that are already available. I mean, there is more data available to schools every day, but making sense of all these data uh, is really difficult. So I'm wondering if you're talking about what types of collaboration, if that could be one of the possibilities there. Definitely. And and I know Martin was talking about like, you know, this kind of community audit. I mean, and you're talking about like research partnerships. It strikes me then that there's opportunities for co-production and collaboration. And how do you bring community kind of leaders or community, I guess, stakeholders into some of the design of the school's audit or strategies or tools? So I I see that you bring partnerships, whether that's a research practice partnership, say, between an institute of higher education and a school, or whether it's partnerships between an individual school and, say, a local community-based organization. And sometimes those are structured within the school. So we have a health clinic that comes into the school and provides some healthcare services right there within the school for students or for family members, or a partnership between the school and an organization that's doing continuing education for parents. And so there's opportunities there for direct kind of partnerships. 
or whether it's school to school partnerships where we're collaborating on a professional development institute that we want to do, just to give an example. So whether it's school to school, school to community member, school to university, there are different ways in which these partnerships can form. And I think it connects back to how they form. It connects back to Pakti's point earlier about the unity of purpose. And so when there is a synergy that's where people say, well, there's something that's useful here for me that I can gain from this partnership. That's what can drive it because people are very busy and people have lots of different stress in their lives. And so they're not going to come together just to come together for the sake of it. They need to have a reason that's bringing them together. One of the other structures that helps create this unity of purpose is power and how power is shared. Schools in the United States, at least, often have trouble sharing power. We want the power to be really controlled within the school. And when we think about decision-making, about what we're teaching and how we're teaching, sharing that with parents, sharing that with community members is very difficult for some school leaders to do. And yet, by doing that, by engaging members of the broader community, whether that's the parent community or whether that's the broader community in which the school is situated, by sharing that power, of course, you build in a reason for people to come to the table and help you. So that's something that we work on a lot. And it, I don't say that we're, we have it all figured out, but that's a structural way in which you create these partnerships. Martin, I really like what you said about the power aspect. One of the things that we found when it comes to sharing, also share it with students. One of the things that we found is that student voice data is so important if you're working in a diverse setting, if you're working on equity-related goals. And often when we think about data, it's student data in the form of assessment, but student voice data in the form of actually sitting down with students to ask them what they think about the issues that we are dealing with, either if it's at a systems level, at a district level, or at an individual school level, that can be a really powerful resource. Pakti, I don't know if you wanted to comment on partnerships and community engagement. I should first say that Singapore is a very small place, so I'm going to do a little bit of describing, but it's not typical. So it's simply Singapore as it's set up and being such a small country, so it is not typical. So I'm not advocating that this is like a model or anything like that, not at all. But because Singapore is so small, it is such a small country, and we run a public school system. That is to say, basically, all our schools are government schools, 95% or something like that. Okay? So when this system works in this way, all schools are actually schools of the country. So when you think from the philosophical angle, then in some ways, suddenly the question of partnership and philosophies is a very different way of looking at things. We don't go out to say, would you like to partner? It's by way that we are being set up is highly collaborative in its design. So firstly, let's say to talk about equity. So the whole system has to believe in this thing called equity. But it must start off with the whole country believing in the importance of education. That is to say, 
when you take this philosophy as a whole nation, education is investment. It's not expenditure. It's a very different way of looking at things now. In which case, then, even when times are hard, there will be students, for example, during COVID-19, where the parents are actually affected, financially speaking, lost their job, etc. You want no child to be left behind, then the schools have to be adequately resourced. And you have to, as Kim said, have the data where would be the points in which you say, hey, a child is actually left behind. Then you can apply the resources and say no child ought to be left behind. But that's because I have enough resource to help this child and every one of us pulling together. So I think it is not just a matter of I as a leader of school, I as a teacher, but it's the whole system issue believing in this. So when we say collaborative, so one way is that we, we tend to think of school reaching out to another school and say, could we collaborate and things like that. It's just that Singapore is set up in such a way that every school is part of the system. So in particular, for our school principals, just to illustrate the point, they actually have two identities. One, you are the principal, the leader of a school. But two, you are a leader in the entire system. That is to say, the community of school principals is precisely the community that leads the entire education system. So it's not about your school better than my school. We are all schools serving all the children in this country. Therefore, if that is the case, you find that this is how it works. If I were a school principal, generally, I will want to develop my own staff members, right? Yeah. So let's say I have a head of department, okay, one of my head of mathematics or science, and I say, hey, you know, young chap, you know, full of potential. I think because I, I do want to have new vice principal, okay, or deputy principal. So I'm going to, to develop this person, okay? develop this person and this person is going to help me to do more things but because this is a united system therefore when you develop this person in our culture and context this person will always end up being posted to another school which has a greater need we never develop people for our own school we always develop people for the system and they will go to serve other places which has greater needs. So in this case, then, it's a very different way of understanding collaboration, understanding partnership, understanding equity. We are looking at serving the needs of all the children, not on a school-by-school, class-by-class context. That's very interesting. And, you know, I think we could do with a bit of that philosophy in the UK, you know, <laughs> that it's about resourcing, not expenditure. So, yeah, our school systems are struggling a little bit under some strain from recent policy decisions. Anyway, <laughs> I should not get started on that. So I want to just follow up on what Pakti, you're saying here. And I think it's I'm very grateful that you go into some of the specifics about Singapore and what creates this dual identity of it's my school as a leader, I'm a leader of this school, and I'm also a leader in this system. And as we know, as we started talking, context makes all the difference when we're thinking about diversity and equity and inclusion and justice in our schools. 
But what I take from that is not just that there's something structurally helpful in the Singapore system to promote the investment in education as opposed to seeing it as an expenditure, but I take it at even a higher level and think the design is what matters so much. So designing the schools to advance equity and to embrace diversity within the context. So within the context of Singapore, this is a design feature that has worked very well. And how can we in other settings think about the design features and the constraints that we have of those contexts, but learn to design in ways that leverage the diversity in that context to advance equity. So zoom in right in now, something that you said, Kim, about how a teacher with two students from identical grades, different backgrounds, made different recommendations for which track that student should go in. And it seems to me that one of the things schools perhaps need to do is equip teachers with the ways to ask themselves, you know, reflective questions. You know, how far is an individual teacher responsible for equity within schools, within school leadership? I would argue that if we claim that equity is a collective responsibility, that means that every individual is also responsible for equity. I mean, there are different things that every individual in our entire system can do. But I think especially for teachers, they have a very important role in their classrooms as a role model, as addressing equity issues if they arise, having learning conversations based on data, address each other's biases if they occur. I know it's a lot of responsibility uh, that we are laying on the shoulders of our teachers, but I do think it's very important. And I would build on that and say there's tremendous power to get back to the PowerPoint there. That's where the power is also, the power resides. So we at the school level can put in place structures and can put in place policies, but the ways in which those policies are played out or the ways in which those structures are enacted are at the more fine-grained level and in, within the classroom, even in smaller interactions between a teacher and an individual student or two students. And there's much more power also in the teacher's hands to craft the school that's embracing the diversity therein. And so there's responsibility, as Kim's saying, and also great power. I mean, I also teach, and I think it's really great if you can help enhance your students, if you see them learn. And I think one of the things that we often do, especially uh, when it comes to diversity and equity, we tend to approach things as problems. We look at students based on their problems. And of course, we need to identify their problems to be able to support them. But I also really like using a more strength approach and see what are the students' assets and strengths and how can we build on these assets and strengths. And every student in every classroom has assets and strengths on which you can build, uh, which I think is a much more positive approach than focusing solely on problems. Okay, for me, I think that we have to work on equity at different levels, individual, class, school, and as a whole system. And without 
one working on one level without the other is not going to work very well. So we need to work at different levels. But at the teacher's level, I think the important thing is this. When I see a class of students in front of me, the main thing is this. Regardless of race, language, religion, or their background, do I love them equally? And I think that is the best kind of equity. That is to say, as a teacher, if I could love my students, regardless of where they come from, what sort of language they initially spoke, then I think that would be what I could do for the kids. And from the perspective of the kids, of course, there's such a thing called the system has a very big influence on my life. That is true. But on a daily basis, I don't actually experience everything about policy. On a daily basis, I experience my teacher. And if my teacher could love me regardless of who I am, that despite the teacher being of a different race from me, despite the teacher maybe having a very different set of belief system from what I have, despite the teacher being of a kind of different culture from the sort of culture that I've brought from, but the teacher still loved me, willing to work with me. And I think I feel loved as a student. And I think if all teachers could do that, what a great system that would be. I think the conversation that we're sharing with one another, coming from different places on the globe and coming from different perspectives based on our own positions and our own life experiences, is something enriching to my own formation, my ongoing formation in this work. And I find the experience of talking with others, as well as other kinds of conversations with people in different positions in society and across different societies, these relationships, asset orientation that you mentioned just now, Kim, and the sense of love that you just mentioned right now, Pakti, these relationships are what help us in the ongoing journey to be more equitable and be more justice-oriented in our leadership practice. So I find that this kind of conversation is where my growth occurs. And I hope that our conversation is also contributing to that kind of growth amongst the folks who are listening. I think we have a very nice ending there. <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah. And uh, maybe as a kind of concluding remark from me, and I think worldwide, sometimes I hear in different cultures, people are bashing educators. And I personally think that teachers are actually doing great things. And people who are working in education are people who try our best to, to work for the good of the future. So at least in my country, because I'm a teacher educator, I say to the teachers to believe in themselves and also to always remember that teachers are people who plant trees so that others sit under those trees and perhaps no one will remember who planted those trees in the first place. So I hope to encourage all educators to just keep plowing away and I think it will be for a better future. So thanks very much for all your work. Thank you. I'm actually from a family of teachers and I appreciate that very much. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode bringing research into focus. You can follow us at Emerald Global on Twitter and you can check out our website at emeraldgrouppublishing.com. 
You'll find the links mentioned in the episode below in the show notes. 